one of the games we like to play now in the wintertime when it gets dark early at my house. We like to play that game Clue. I don't know if you know that name, know that game, but Clue's a game where you've got um, everyone's a character. And so you're a character, then you've got certain clues, and you're trying to solve a murder mystery. Murder mystery. Murder on the Orient Express. Or whatever. So uh, it's a lot of fun. You're trying to, you're, everybody's a detective. And so uh, we play that game. There's a couple other games we play. I'm not a big game player, not a big gamer. I, I lose interest quick. So it's got to be a game that moves pretty quick. Bam, 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 moves along. Uh, I don't like games that get dragged out. Uh, but Clue's pretty fun. And there's something intriguing about mystery. There's something exciting about the revelation of mystery. And and one of the things that is critical when you're trying to solve a crime or convict a criminal or defend an innocent person is that you need evidence and you need proof. And the Word of God actually gives us overwhelming evidence and history gives us a lot of proof that Jesus indeed was raised from the dead. And so in part three, we're going to drill into some of those proofs. Stay with us. It's going to be an awesome episode. Welcome to No Sanity Required from the Ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a podcast about the Bible, culture, and stories from around the globe. So I think a lot of times when it comes to the Christian faith, if we're not careful, uh, this idea that we looked at uh, previously, uh, apologetics is a word that comes from from the ancient word apologia, which means um, to, to, to apologize, which in that context actually meant to give evidence. So as Christians, we need to be able to give evidence uh, from the scripture, from history. We need to understand why what we believe, know why we believe it, and how it's affecting us. And so in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, the scripture says, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul will tell us that during that time, Jesus actually appeared to over 500 people, and a lot of them were willing to face death uh, and be martyred to, uh, to, rather than, than uh, renounce their faith in Jesus. And so the word proofs is actually a biblical word. It comes from there in Acts chapter 1. I think a lot of people get a little bit nervous thinking about proofs. Do I got to prove this or prove that? You'll hear when I was growing up, this is sort of the, the way I was raised is you would hear a preacher say something like, well, God said it, so bless God, I believe it, and that's all the proof I need. And that sounds awesome, man. It sounds like so cavalier, you know, like we're sticking this fist right up in the face of the unbelieving skeptical world and telling them what we think about it or something, you know, and it's like, wait a minute, as Christians, we have this incredible, you know, we've got the greatest message that's ever been given. We are messengers of the greatest message that's ever been given. We have the hope of the gospel that's been given to us in what the scripture says, we carry it in jars of clay. It's fragile. The messengers are fragile. The vessels are fragile, but the message is bomb proof. It is, it is a wrecking ball to false philosophy and the world's vanity and religion and religious pursuits. And so we've been given this very powerful proof 
and many proofs, but at the root of the gospel proof or evidence is the resurrection of Jesus, which is why we're doing this series on it, while we're talking through it, and while we're having these different conversations and discussions. And so I want to walk through uh, some of those proofs and not be and, and we don't need to be nervous or worried about saying that we need to prove that Jesus was raised from the dead. We should because, and, and we can know confidently that we can. There's strong biblical evidence. So much so that in my own faith journey years ago, I really questioned the validity of Scripture and the validity of the Christian faith and the validity of the claims of Jesus and the claims of the early church fathers. And where I landed through a through through the research and study was there overwhelming evidence. There's overwhelming evidence and, and undeniable proofs that Jesus is who he said he was. And there's some incredible testimonies that I'd point you to. One would be the testimony of Josh McDowell. And uh, his two probably best best works are uh, that he wrote were the new evidence that demands a verdict. It's a big heavy book that that really looks at the proofs of Christianity. And it's more like a, that one's more like a, um, like a reference book. But I mean, I read it as a young Christian in my twenties, I read it cover to cover and it's awesome. It'll really just build you stronger in your faith and your understanding of the validity of the claims of Christ and the early church claims and things like that. And then he also wrote a book called more than a carpenter. And he, and he kind of goes through his testimony, but he's a guy that set out to disprove Christianity in the process had these proofs, staring back at him that were undeniable and overwhelming. Similar story, what happened with Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel's the guy that wrote the book, The Case for Christ, that that was made into a movie recently, uh, just in the last few years. He wrote the book 20 years ago, I think. I think. It's, it's been a while. But he was a reporter for like the, the, the big Chicago newspaper, and same kind of deal. He set out to disprove Christianity in the process. The evidence was overwhelming and undeniable, so um, he ends up going from skeptic to believer and now is an like an ardent staunch defender of Christianity. And so, and on and on those stories go, my favorite uh, apologist was Robbie Zacharias. who was also just a preacher and a philosopher, but there's so many proofs. Uh, and I want to walk through just a few of those. This is going to be super short and simple. And so in this episode, this part three, uh, on the resurrection, I want to look at proofs beyond what we've already looked at because we've looked at the eyewitness accounts of the Jesus's brothers and those early apostles. But I want to move beyond that a little bit in this episode, and then the last episode, I want to look at the like the doctrinal significance. What does it mean for us doctrinally? What what rides on the resurrection? What if you thought the resurrection in Christianity, then what do we lose? And I want to look in that last part, part four, I want to look at um, the doctrinal significance of the resurrection. We'll be relying on a lot of Grudem's work in that. So, But let's let's talk uh, about these proofs. So uh, again, we read Acts chapter one, verse three, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. And so uh, one thing that I think it's important to to maintain as sort of a an anchor point in all of this is that the apostles were the ones who lived through all of this. So they followed Jesus before he was uh, before he was crucified, and then they're the ones that abandoned him, and they're the ones that then remained faithful to the end. And so there there were several theories that were put out. Um, in the early, like in the early days of the church, to sort of discredit or disprove the resurrection, and I want to look at the counter theories 
that what we would call counter theories, those that counter those ideas or theories that came from the work and ministry and evidences of the apostles. Okay. So, so first there's a theory or there's a, a thought that Jesus was not really dead. The second one is that his body was stolen. So, so the two things that people will argue, cause you cannot like realistically, you cannot argue the existence of Jesus, a man named Jesus in the uh, city of Jerusalem in the first century was crucified. There's too many eyewitness accounts. You can go read the Jewish historian Josephus, who is not a Christian, and he gives incredibly detailed eyewitness accounts of the ministry of Jesus. And so, uh, so these these theories that Jesus either wasn't dead, like he was real, but he was crucified, but he didn't actually die. Uh, and so, a lot of people will in uh, uh, something that was popular a couple decades ago, a few decades ago, something called the swoon theory. The idea that Jesus sort of lapsed into this state of, uh, like, like he was in a coma or like he was, you know, he's unconscious and he's laying there, but then he gets underground or behind the stone and it's cool. And he sort of revitalizes. <laughs> I remember one time I was driving down the road. I'm a, I'm in my, it was me and little driving down the road. I'm in my truck. I got a horse trailer on the back of the truck. I got, I don't know, I think four horses in there. So you're talking about probably seven, 8,000 pounds in a truck. And the, the, this dog runs out in front of me. It was actually two dogs. They go running out in front of me. And I hit, I want to say I hit both of them. But it was like, there's no stopping. I'm not going to swerve. I'm not going to slam on the brakes. I didn't speed up and try to kill the dogs. I just kind of gently applied pressure and tried to slow down hoping they'd see this big massive truck coming it was two lane road and anyway it didn't work out i hit the dogs and i mean i hit them good and i could feel them kind of bouncing along under the truck under both axles and then under both axles on the horse trailer the gooseneck trailer and then out the back they come so i i it takes me a minute and i get pulled over and i'm like i need to figure out who owns these dogs uh see if they got collars um and let them know that I've hit their dogs. And so uh, the dogs are laying in the middle of the road, and I'm assuming they're dead. You know, 10, 12,000 pounds running 40 miles an hour just just ran over them. So anyway, I go look at the dogs. They're laying there. They're they're whimpering. They're, they seem to be, like, unconscious, eyes kind of rolled back and glazed over, and, and but they're gasping for air. And I'm like, okay, I gotta, I'm going to put these dogs out of their misery. So I go to the truck. And I get my little uh, pistol and I come over that I keep in the truck and I come over and I'm going to shoot these dogs. Now, why am I going to do that? That's so cruel. No, I'm going to, I need to put them out of their misery. They're slowly like bleeding out, probably got internal trauma. They're gasping, you know, it's like, let's, let's, I'm going to put them out of their misery. Then I'll find the owners and tell them what happened. So I go to the truck. Actually, I think it was a rifle. I had a little 22 rifle and I get the rifle and I start walking over to the dogs, and they both, it's like they realize what's happening. They jump up, and they run off into the, there's a little trailer park, a mobile home park right there off the road. They run they run into the mobile home park and out of sight. I couldn't find them. I drove, I mean, I walked up through there and never saw them. So anyway, I went back and got in the truck, and I thought, how in the world? It's like they were, they were dead, you know? They were on their way out of this world, and all of a sudden, they were revitalized. Now, I don't know if they went on and died or what, but. Uh, there are people that think that somehow the, the the great miracle is that Jesus wasn't actually dead, but that he recovered once he was put in the ground. No medical treatment, 
wrapped in, mind you, a hundred pounds of grave clothes. So like the way they would prepare a body back then is they would wrap you in all this heavy, heavy, heavy weighted cloth with like ointments. You know, they didn't have an embalming process that they put people through. So to, to keep down on the stink and the smell of rotting flesh, they would, they would uh, dress the body in heavy linen with heavy ointment until you could handle it, get it uh, in the ground, get that person in the ground, and then the body would begin the process of decomposition, but it would take a little longer that way. And so the idea that Jesus wasn't dead first, I want to give you to, to address either he wasn't dead or the body got stolen. Let me, let me give you some things to think about. Number one, we are talking about Roman crucifixion. I've got in my notes, Romans question mark. Like, have you studied about the, this is like saying someone in a Nazi concentration camp somehow managed to stay chubby like to 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 sneak food like they they tricked the nazi system we know that didn't happen that the atrocities of the concentration camps the atrocities of the holocaust rested on the the highly intelligent but deeply demonic and diabolical evil in the intent and the execution of that evil on the part of the Nazis. Well, the Romans, man, when they were crucifying people, they didn't play around. They knew what they were doing. They crucified. There, there are accounts and, and historical accounts. I think Josephus is the one that talks about, uh, and I might be misquoting who, who said this, but there's an account of 6,000 people being crucified. Like, bam, at one point, like eyewitness accounts. And so they knew how to kill people. Keep in mind, to make sure Jesus is dead, they were going to smash his legs so he'd suffocate. But when they plunged that spear into his side, right up in, against his heart, there, there was physiological evidence that he's dead. And so they took him down and he was dead. All right. He was dead. He bled out, man. Like you can't lose the majority of the blood in your body, be endure Roman crucifixion and not die. So the idea that he didn't die and that he was just in some sort of like unconscious comatose state is just absolutely crazy. It makes no, it doesn't even make sense. Like I don't think anybody really could take that serious. The second thing is um, that the body was stolen. Okay, the body was stolen. So um, what I, I the, the first thing I want to do there, I want to look at three things with that. And the first one is this. Um, to, so the Romans, the, the way we addressed the idea that he wasn't dead is that Romans knew how to kill people. The way we address the idea that the body was stolen is let's talk about the empty tomb, Okay. Let's talk about the empty tomb. Now, the apostles faced accusation for stealing the body of Jesus. Okay, the the apostles actually faced, like literally, we see this um, in the scripture, the, in the book of Acts, that they were they were accused of stealing the body of Jesus. So, um, the body of Jesus is stolen, and the apostles hid him somewhere. Uh, yeah. Okay. Right. If they did that, let's go back to what we talked about in the last couple of episodes. If they did that, that means they were willing to then die a brutal, torturous death for something they had that they knew to be a, a lie. Like we take the body of Jesus, we steal it. First off, is physically like the idea of stealing it means they had to get past Roman guards who would who would be killed for letting that body get stolen. So you got to get past season. So so let's let's paint the scenario. We're going to steal the body. Okay. So I'm going to I'm going to. How crazy does this sound? We're going to steal the the body of Jesus. So 
some some blue collared 18 19 20 year old fishermen say 20 year old guys that have only ever worked in a small fishing village until the last three years where they've gotten to see a part of the world while you know traveling around with jesus they somehow either dupe or overthrow these seasoned roman guards who i mean these guys knew violence they knew combat they knew how to fight they're guarding the tomb and these guys go in there and somehow they they like let's say that they trick them okay uh if they trick them the roman guards are going to die okay so like okay they're not being vigilant they get duped they get tricked and these these kids are able to roll this you know thousand pound rock back and haul the body out while the romans aren't looking no it doesn't make sense second thing is they what like they pay them off because this was one of the this was one of the schemes on the part of the um, jewish leaders like let's say they got paid off look if you're a roman and you fall asleep on the job you you fall asleep on the job you lay down the job you you fail at your job like you'd be executed it's not no joke you know so the the idea that the body got stolen so let's say that they pulled that off they stole it okay now We've got, we're in the busiest city in Palestine, like in the busiest season time in Palestine. Okay, so we've got a corpse, a 175-pound man in a, in, with 100 pounds of grave cloths, and we got to carry this 250, 300-pound person and try to get sneak him through this busy city and then, get, and then like what? What are we going to do? Go, like, bury him somewhere else? Stick him in? Like, it doesn't make sense. And so, and and then further, the apostles never go back to the tomb. Like, there's no, nobody knows where the tomb really is. Like, they tell me, I've never been to the Holy Land. I've never been on a tour of Israel. But they say when you go over there, they take you to where they think the tomb was. And they, and they, but it's all speculation. There was no tomb to go visit because, Tombs were borrowed, and when the bodies decayed, the bones were moved. If there, think of this: there are places where, like like in communist countries, places where Stalin led in the Soviet Union, or the the Kim Dynasty in North Korea. There there are tombs with bodies, and people go on these pilgrimages to these tombs. Okay, that you go to the tomb of this your holy person. People make pilgrimages to do this. There's no place to go visit the body of Jesus. Like that, they would have preserved that at, at the very least. You know, there would have been. And so, there's no early church practice of going to visit the body of Jesus. And these guys were willing to die, and they wouldn't have been willing to die for a body they snuck away and stashed in the bushes until they could carry it out of the city. And it just doesn't make sense. Okay, and then uh, another another counter theory would be. Um, that worship was moved from the Sabbath being on Saturday to the 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 daily worship of, or the the weekly worship of the church was on Sunday to celebrate and commemorate the resurrection on Sunday morning, and they they began to meet together and worship after that first Sunday, and then last this I love this one um, is baptism. Why do we practice baptism in the early church? You see it all through throughout the book of Acts. These guys are baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And in that baptism, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6 that we're buried in the likeness of Christ's baptism. We're buried with Jesus in baptism, and then we're raised out of the water in the symbolism of his resurrection. So even the, the, the ordinance of baptism in the first church, 
was like it lined up perfectly with the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is to the commemoration of the death and breaking of the body of Jesus, the body, the blood, the death of Jesus. And then baptism is the commemoration of Jesus raising from the dead. And we're identifying with him in that. So, and the, the bottom line is this, okay, the bottom line is this, and, and let me, let me close this out this way. Here's, here's what, where I want to go for the bottom line. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writing to the church at Corinth. This is verse 14. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Paul, who had been a persecutor of Christians, who had seen the risen Lord and then gave his life to the proclamation of the gospel, was beaten, tortured, imprisoned, starved, stoned. Like he survived so many assassination attempts, and he survived it, and he continued to preach the gospel. And he said, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then I'm preaching vanity. I'm preaching foolishness. And then in verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you're still in your sins. If Jesus is raised, then you didn't confess faith in anything because there's nothing to confess faith in. And so the salvation you think you have doesn't really exist. And last in verse 19, he says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. He said, man, if, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead and the, and the life choice you made was to be a Christian, man, I feel sorry for you. More than anybody else, you should be pitied. Man, you should be pitied. You have wasted your life. There's so many other things you could have pursued. Hedonism, secularism, pick a religion that's that's got you know, something that's more appealing to you, whatever. Like, don't pick anything. Be an atheist. Be an agnostic. Do anything. But but you, if you have put your faith and your hope in, in the resurrection of someone who was not raised from the dead, you should be pitied. And he's saying this at a time where there are eyewitnesses. And in fact, in that same passage, he says 500 people saw him, and a lot of those people are now dead. They paid the ultimate price. Wayne Grudem says the testimony of the entire New Testament is that Jesus was raised from the dead. And for me and for you, if you're a Christ follower, the bottom line is this is personal. This is personal. My confession of faith in Jesus and my uh, my submission to his lordship and my belief that he is who he says he is has changed my life. The evidence is undeniable in, in studying the historical proofs, but more importantly, the personal impact of the spirit of God at work in my life has changed who I am. And so it's personal. The resurrection of Jesus is something we take part in now in this life and that we will take part in later physically in our own bodily resurrection. I hope you'll be encouraged by that. And uh, I'm real glad you joined uh, and, and listened in. And, and I'm looking forward to the next episode where we wrap this up. And so stay tuned and we'll see you then. Thanks for listening to No Sanity Required. Please take a moment to subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps. Visit us at SWOutfitters.com to see all of our programming and resources. And we'll see you next week on No Sanity Required.